Hi everyone and welcome to one more episode of the Oplane podcast where I talk with innovators and entrepreneurs that are transforming the aviation industry. First of all, let me repeat my usual reminder that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast as well as many other aviation stories on our website allplane.tv that's A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Today's guest is Roy Ganzarski, the CEO of MagniX, one of the companies that is right at the center of the electric aviation revolution because it makes the electric motors that power some of the most prominent electric aviation projects out there, including some of those that have been covered here on this podcast, such as Sydney Seaplanes, Dante Aeronautical, or Faraday. MagniX motors were also on the e-weaver the seaplane that completed the first all-electric commercial flight a couple of years ago in Vancouver, Canada. And actually, when I was just adding the last edits to this episode, a press release popped up in my email inbox with the news that MagniX is joining forces precisely with Harbor Air, the company that completed that very first all-electric commercial flight, and Swiss startup H55, in order to certify the very first all-electric commercial airplane. As a side note, some listeners might remember that we talk extensively about H55 here on this podcast on episode 26, to be exact, a few months back, when I had the honor of hosting Andre Borschberg, the founder of H55, an electric aviation pioneer. He was the co-pilot of the Solar Impulse experimental plane a few years back. Roy Ganzarski is also involved in the Aviation Alice project, which is another very sleek, very interesting electric plane project. And prior to that, he worked at Boeing for quite a few years. So, as you might have guessed, Roy has a pretty good vantage point of the green aviation landscape, and particularly of electric aviation. So, join me for a fascinating conversation with one of the most prominent movers and shakers of the sustainable aviation industry hello roy i, I pronounced it correctly yes you did perfect thank you so much for joining us from seattle washington i was looking forward to have this conversation for a long time because the company you manage macni x uh, seems to be in the middle of pretty much every single electric aviation project that I come across anywhere, everywhere in the world. So I thought it, you know, it's time that I call you guys and learn a bit more about what you're doing, the different very exciting projects you're involved in and, and your technology. So first of all, I wanted to ask you to give us a bit of background about yourself. You were at Boeing for a long time before getting into other ventures like MagniX. And I think the best is that you, you tell us a bit about yourself and what MagniX is up to at the moment. Sure, so first of all, thank you, thank you for having me on. I, I take it as a, a clear compliment and a sign that we're doing something right uh, if you keep hearing our name being involved with other electric aircraft programs. So I, I think that's a, that's a good thing that we're getting together to speak. Uh, and it's also not surprising, uh, given that if you look at the history of aviation, everything starts with propulsion. Uh, today, for example, we're living in what's called the jet age of aviation. That's not because of the jet airplane, it's because of the jet engine. And the jet engine allowed aircraft designers, aircraft companies to design new elements of aircraft, swept wing, uh, being able to fly at high altitude, higher speeds, more efficiently, but the engine started it all. Uh, the 
uh, powered flight is what started with the Wright brothers, right? Putting an engine on an aircraft. And so really everything has to do with propulsion. And when the industry was looking at how do you get to electric aviation, again, we had to start with propulsion. Today, people talk about batteries. Oh, you know, there's not enough batteries or the batteries aren't strong enough or hydrogen fuel cell isn't ready yet. We're having those conversations today because the rest is taken for granted. And what do I mean by that? If five years ago, you would have gone to a battery company or a hydrogen fuel cell company and say, hey, why don't you develop something for an airplane? Lightweight, powerful, redundant, reliable, can be certified by the regulatory authorities. They would answer, and they did, by the way, uh, for what airplane? There's no electric airplane. Why would I invest any money in batteries or fuel cells for airplanes? Oh, okay. So then you go to the airplane company and say, hey, why don't you develop an electric airplane? And they'll say, with what propulsion system? Show me a propulsion system that's strong enough, lightweight enough, reliable enough, safe enough, that can get certified, then we'll design an airplane. And so for MagniX, we knew that we had to start in propulsion. Otherwise, the rest of the revolution doesn't happen. And so today, we're a propulsion company focused on commercial aviation. And now that that's, and we've been flying aircraft, and, and we can talk about that uh, later, but now that that's happening, then aircraft companies started to design new aircraft to be electric. So now we're in the natural place where people are talking about batteries and fuel cells. By the way, cars were exactly the same. The first Tesla was not the Model Y or the Model 6 or the Model S. It was a Lotus car that they converted to be electric, a retrofit, similar to what we did with the Beavers, with the caravans. They had to first prove that the propulsion worked for an electric car with lesser batteries, with a car that wasn't optimal, but that's how they started. Then they designed their own car, and now they're doing their own batteries. So it's a very similar note. Yeah, but actually- That's not what you asked. You, you, you asked who I am and my background. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> let me just give you a quick uh, uh, quick background about myself. So I'm Roy Gonzarski. I'm currently the CEO of MagniX, the electric propulsion company. Uh, I've been in the aviation industry uh, for quite some time. I, I was uh, first, I'm originally from Israel. Uh, I was in the military there, uh, did some work in advertising, uh, then came to the US to get my MBA uh, and did some work in corporate finance and investment banking. Uh, then joined the Boeing company and spent 13 years at the Boeing company in various positions and various roles uh, that are customer facing. Uh, after the Boeing company, uh, I left to uh, join six uh, phenomenal mathematicians uh, and software engineers in starting a startup uh, for real-time optimization software. Uh, and we had uh, various customers such as, uh, eventually customers such as NetJets uh, and others where our software would real-time schedule all of their operations and disruptions. Uh, and then after almost seven years with Bold IQ, uh, I then joined MagniX to kind of the, do the same thing. Uh, they had a piece of technology. Uh, MagniX in fact started in 2009 doing electric motor uh, R&D, uh, not really for commercial purposes or, or not even related to aviation, but just commercial R&D. Uh, and they did that starting in 2009. And so our expertise and legacy of electric motors is very, very strong. In 2017, we developed a motor that eventually became our prototype. Very powerful, very lightweight, turning at very low speed, which is very important. And we can talk about that later as well if you want. Uh, but we thought, Maybe someone can actually use this motor beyond just being an interesting R&D point. And so we talked to various industries, but very quickly it became evident that aviation was the place to be. 
first of all, there was no electric aviation industry. And so that's a great place to go in, right? If you know anything about kind of red ocean, blue ocean, strategic thinking, et cetera, why go to where everybody is competing? Let's go to where very few are competing. The only one company at that point in the world that had developed a motor that was close to what we developed in capability was a small company in Europe called Siemens. Uh, and I say that, of course, jokingly. And, and they were <laughs> yeah. about to fly their extra 300, their airplane with their electric motor. Uh, and then the various other uh, groups and stakeholders from the aviation said, with your motor, it really lends itself well to aviation and could be certified. And so in late 2017, the company pivoted from being an R&D company for electric motors to a commercial business focused on electrifying commercial aviation. And that's when I joined the company and as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, MacMeX started in Australia, right? Correct. And then it moved across the Pacific Ocean. All that's the right, so MacMeX started in Australia and, and was in Australia until very recently. Uh, and when the company decided that it would pivot from being general R&D to aviation, Mm -hmm. One of the a few decisions that we had to make at that time was, where should we be? Australia is a phenomenal place mm -hmm. uh, for many reasons. It's also the birthplace of our company, of MagniX. Mm -hmm. But Australia is not the epicenter of aerospace worldwide. There's really three locations. If you think about aerospace and aerospace leaderships, there's really three places in the world where that ecosystem exists. Toulouse, France is one, where Airbus is. Uh, Wichita, Kansas is another, where you find companies like Textron and others and Seattle, Washington, where Boeing is. And it's not because Airbus or Boeing or Cessna are the actual customers or users, but the ecosystem that's around them, all their suppliers that come there, the universities teach sp things specifically for that, the employment base that's there. So it's an ecosystem that's built for aerospace. So we were looking at where should we put the headquarters and eventually the operations of MagniX in one of these ecosystems, but we also wanted another thing. Uh, and that's when I joined, I wanted to make sure that we didn't become another aerospace company. And what do I mean by that? If you look at the incumbents today, the major aerospace companies, they're all very, very large. They're also very risk averse, very slow, very bureaucratic. That's, you know, some of the things that come with, with the companies. They also produce, by the way, phenomenal products. Uh, I love the products that every one of them produce but the companies are doing so very slow because they're very, very big at 50, a hundred thousand people uh, at hundreds of billions of dollars. It's difficult to maybe be quick, nimble, innovative. And so we didn't want to grow to be the same thing. We wanted to be more like a startup that moves quickly, thinks differently, is willing to challenge everything all the time, including its own work. And what we found in between the three ecosystems is that Seattle had both. You had Boeing on the one hand with all of the aerospace ecosystem. On the other hand, it had companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Starbucks, Costco, all these amazing companies that were started here in Seattle that in each of their own industries always questioned the status quo. How can we do it differently? How can we change? How can we move faster? How can we adapt? How can we adopt? How can we teach? And so we thought this blend of aerospace and startup culture that exists in Seattle was perfect for the new type of aerospace that we want to create at MagniX. One that thinks like a startup, but adheres to and adopts the safety uh, quality regimen that's required to be in aerospace. And that mesh is what we're creating here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, th this is a topic that came up in, in some recent podcasts that I've done is that 
it seems that we are living now through an era of aviation that in some ways can be reminiscent of what it was like after the First World War, at the time when pretty much, as you say, kind of a blue ocean environment where there was a change in in technology, well, at the time, obviously, it was completely aviation was completely new, and there was no commercial aviation to speak of. So everything was open for innovation, and, and I, we've got. I've got the impression we are living through this era now. We we've got the last fifty years that have been dominated by certain concepts that have proven to be very effective and very efficient and, and that work really well. But now we have new technologies that will possibly bring about very disruptive change. And it's a time for experimentation. So we've got the giants, the, the Boeing, Airbuses, and then we have a, a huge number of startups, innovators that are uh, experimenting with all these urban mobility, with uh, electric aviation, hydrogen, pretty much all sorts of different ideas and concepts. And, and we don't really know how it's going to be like in, in 20 years' time. Um, so that's really, really exciting. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think the last time uh, we saw something like this in aviation was probably in the 30s, 20s, 30s, maybe even 40s uh, 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 mm-hmm. of the century, in that uh, the questions that were asked then are what we're asking today. Why not? The incumbents ask, why? Mm-hmm. We have a great model. We make money. It works. It's been working, like you said, for 50, 60, 70 years. Why? The, the newcomers, Magniex, Aviation, Faradair, Sydney Seaplanes, uh, Universal Hydrogen, we're all asking the different question. Why not? Because the time to make the change is now. The requirement from our consumers, from the world, from the population, is we must change aviation. So why not do it this way? And it's a very different approach to things. And, and it's like you said, it's very exciting. It's also very scary, right? There's a, a lot of, as opposed to in the 20s and 30s, today there are incumbents that maybe don't want to see us succeed, that maybe don't want to see a change, right? Think of Kodak and digital cameras. They didn't want digital cameras. They wanted film. There's nothing like film. Film was how they were making money. Film was proven for a long time. Why do digital? And we know Kodak is gone from the world now, right? Because the world want to change. And so I think we're in a very similar situation today. In this context, you have basically two basic designs, right? One more powerful than the other, but similar in concept. And you are fitting this system into different types of aircraft. Uh, you mentioned a few of them. Uh, you mentioned uh, Sydney seaplanes, uh, Faradair. Uh, both were here in the podcast, by the way. Mm. Also, these, I guess they can work both with battery, but also with hydrogen. With a yes, that's right. And that. also with a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hybrid systems as well. Um, what can you tell us about those systems? Uh, how do they work? How you usually work with these companies? How you work together to, to make it uh, work as part of a bigger system that these entrepreneurs sure. or innovators are working on? Sure. So uh, MagniX is... Uh, an electric propulsion system focused on commercial aviation. Uh, And what does that mean for us? Commercial aviation for us is working with aircraft that were designed to be a business tool for airlines, operators, commuters, et cetera. So we don't work with two or four passenger or one passenger uh, planes. We don't do race planes. We don't do experimental planes. We don't do uh, small trainers. There's nothing wrong with, with those. It's just not where we're focused. 
We're also, by the way, not focused on how do we take a triple seven uh, and turn it electric in 50 years. That's also not our focus. We are very pragmatic, very practical in that we believe that the way to revolutionize this industry is from where the majority of people want to fly. And that is what we define as middle mile flights, 50 to 1,000 miles in range, fixed wing aircraft taking off from an airport, landing in an airport. And I think that's the first thing we'll see when it comes to electric. EV tolls will happen. Uh, I will be happy to fly on them myself. I look forward to that, but I think it'll take a little longer, not just because of the technology, but because of the ecosystem that's required for EV tolls to be successful. You, you, haven't, think, you haven't worked in any uh, EV toll project so far. Uh, uh, I, I can't comment publicly on, on uh, any okay. uh, VTOL <laughs> programs uh, that we may or may not be involved with, but okay. from a commercial perspective, I don't think they will be first to market uh, mm -hmm. on a mass kind of scale. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also don't think that a large aircraft, single aisle, uh, uh, twin aisle aircraft of the type that we would fly Seattle to New York or New York to London will be anytime soon. That's 30, 40, 50 years away for pure electric. But middle mile aircraft, fixed wing aircraft, six passengers to 70 passengers, kind of that range going 50 miles to 1,000 miles is where, in fact, the majority of people fly today. If you look at uh, global airline flights, 70% of them are less than 1,000 miles in range. 70% of all worldwide flights, less than 1,000 miles in range. You just look at the United States, 50% of all airline flights are even less than 500 miles in range. And so the demand for short flights, what we would consider short flights, is very, very strong. But the aviation system for short flights is broken. It doesn't work. Yeah, right? I was, We're all, yeah, yeah. sorry. No, 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 go ahead. No, I'll say that the whole system is geared towards larger and larger aircraft that are efficient at high altitude, high speed cruise, which is good for over a thousand miles. And yet we use them to fly 100, 200, 300 miles. So it's inefficient. It also becomes then expensive. And so MagmiX is focused on propulsion for middle mile aviation. That means we are looking at propulsion systems between 280 kilowatts all the way up to uh, 1.6 megawatts. So that's the range. Today, we have, a, and you, you said the word designs and concepts. Uh, we don't deal in designs and concepts. Today, we have actual motors, actual propulsion systems at the 280 to 350 kilowatt uh, and on one size and the 560 to 640 kilowatt on the second size. Uh, both are flight proven. We have been flying aircraft with these propulsion systems. We've been running them for a few years now. Uh, and so those are the two that we offer today uh, to operators. Uh, and those operators uh, and companies are in different realms. Some of them, like you mentioned, Sydney seaplanes, uh, Harbor Air is another one. He's our launch customer out in Vancouver. So those are operators of the aircraft that are going to convert their own aircraft to be electric, uh, either by themselves or using partners, CDC planes, for example, with Dante uh, out of Spain. Uh, so they're going to be uh, converting their own aircraft. But our other type of customer uh, is also ones that are designing new aircraft, like Aviation with the Alice, which is a brand new design, Faraday in the UK, which is a brand new design with the BIA. And then the third type of customer is a blend. It's a retrofit with a new energy storage, universal hydrogen, for example. They're taking a Dash 8, a 40-passenger aircraft, uh, and turning it into hydrogen electric. So a hydrogen fuel cell providing electricity to our propulsion system. And so MagniX systems 
uh, are real, they're operational, they can work with both retrofit or new design, and they can work with any, any energy source. Uh, our e-beaver, our e-caravan that we're flying with our customers are battery electric. The universal hydrogen is going to be, as I mentioned, hydrogen fuel cell electric, so it's still an electric plane, but instead of batteries providing electricity to our propulsion system, it's hydrogen fuel cell. The Faraday or Biha is a hybrid. They're going to use a biofuel generator to produce electricity for our electric propulsion system. And so we're agnostic, uh, as I like to say, from a, a, a energy source perspective. In fact, if you want to put a bunch of mice turning really quickly on a wheel, producing energy, we'll also take that energy. <laughs> that would be an interesting concept. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it, it, it's not going <laughs> to... It, it won't work, well, I think. Yeah. It won't go well with uh, um, animal rights, I think. Another front for the aviation industry, if that became <laughs> yeah. popular. Um, yeah, actually, you mentioned the, um, the, the ranges. That, that's also another, another derivative of this. This week in, in Europe, it, it's been all over the place, the, this news that in France, they are banning the, the yes. shorter flights. Yes, amazing, was, amazingly bold move. But I was thinking, well, maybe in, in a relatively short period of time, it would possibly not make sense anymore because if you have all these new designs coming up, targeting specifically these shorter ranges, maybe in 10 years time, you're no longer gonna have this problem because you're gonna have Actually, maybe more flights flying the short distances because uh, exactly. but, but, that's exactly but right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. The, the the move that France just made, banning short flights where you can get a four, up to a, I think it was up to a four hour train ride. I think that's amazing. And what they're banning, I, th I think that what's behind the rule is what's important. They're not banning flights. They're banning the creation of carbon emissions on these short routes because they understand. Uh, very correctly, that the efficient point of these turbines or jets is high altitude cruise. But if you're flying two, three, four hundred miles, then you're only benefiting, quote unquote, uh, and I don't, and I mean that tongue in cheek, from the takeoff and climb, which uh, burn a lot of fuel and create a lot of emissions to get to cruise. And then once you're at cruise and you're almost ready to become efficient, then you're already descending because the flight is so short. And so you only get the fuel burn. And so France said, no, let's stop that and only keep aviation for where it can really be efficient. And there aren't good alternatives, which is long routes. I think that's an amazing move. I wish more countries, including the United States, uh, would have the uh, guts, uh, uh, to use a French word, uh, would have the guts to do it. Uh, but I'm happy that, that France is leading the way. I am convinced, I don't know this, but I'm convinced that once electric aviation, and I think it's in the next five years, have products that are certified and ready to go, France will then not reverse its rule, but adapt it to say no flights unless they are carbon free, which will be electric aircraft. So I look forward to that day because I think France are making a very strong statement that they are taking carbon emissions seriously. And that's, I think, a great move. It was your technology that, that powered a flight that made the headlines a couple of years ago, uh, a seaplane. Yes, harbor, that's right. Harbor it air. was a harbor yeah. air seaplane. I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the first all electric commercial, commercial flight airplane. That's right. In history. Yeah. That's right. From uh, the Seattle area to Vancouver. Was no, it, it was in, in Vancouver. Ah, in Vancouver. Was, in, yeah, in, in Vancouver. Vancouver yeah. Uh -huh. Using, uh, it was Harbor Air that operated it. They're the world's second largest seaplane airline. And yeah. they're still operating it. The, the picture behind me, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. and you can't see it, so I'll say yeah. it again. Uh, they are fly they've been flying the e-beaver since December of 2019. 
uh, uh -huh. and still flying it as of yesterday. Uh, so, and so even yesterday morning, that continued to fly. So I want, uh, yeah, actually, I, want, I wanted to ask you about this. What, what was the outcome of that? So they, they keep flying it on a regular basis? Yeah, they keep flying it on a regular basis. It's part of our certification program, both for the propulsion and for their aircraft. So remember, there's, or, or there's two parts to certifying a retrofitted aircraft. The first is the propulsion system. Uh, and uh -huh. we are on track to get our propulsion system certified by the FAA uh, and others by mid-2022. So about 18 months from now, something like that a little less. The second part is they have to certify Harbor Air the use of our propulsion system on their existing aircraft, so the conversion of the aircraft. And so the flying program that we've been doing since December 2019, so over a year now we've been flying this aircraft, is for both learnings on the propulsion system and learnings on the conversion of the aircraft. And we're very shortly going to announce the formal launch of the STC program on the uh, eBeaver. Okay, but, but the flights so far have been, have been test flights, so it... Correct, it's all test flights, yeah. You're okay, not allowed yeah. to take paying passengers on them. So then the, the plan is you're going to have the STC, and, and then from that moment on, you will be able to basically to, to, to launch regular commercial service using the all-electric. All yeah. That's right, that's right. So we expect that in 2023, you'll uh -huh. be able to start buying tickets on electric aircraft with Harbor Air and others. With the e-beaver. With the e-beaver, yeah. How many passengers are you able uh, That's to a six-passenger aircraft, okay. plus a pilot, yeah. Okay, very cool, yeah. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, um, had here on the podcast, uh, got a couple of episodes on seaplanes, and uh, one of them with Sydney seaplanes, uh, they, yep. they explain as well. They, they were planning also to use your technology uh, together that's with... That's right, so Sydney seaplanes yeah. is doing what Harbor Air are doing with the e-beaver, they're doing with the e-caravan. So they're going to be mm -hmm. doing an STC for the uh, Cessna Grand Caravan, and they're going to introduce that as a seaplane uh, in and around Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific Islands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yes, and you have also been involved in a number of other projects, and one of them you mentioned as well is uh, aviation. that has yes, a very right. cool-looking very eye-catching design. Very yeah, elegant. Aviation are exciting because they're the first company to design an airplane to uh -huh. be a commercial airplane that's all electric from the ground up. So as opposed to the retrofits, the e-beaver, the e-caravan, which are great aircraft, even the Dash 8 with universal hydrogen, these are going to be great aircraft, but you're limited to the design of the aircraft that was originally for fuel. And so it's designed differently. The aerodynamics, of course, of all three of these, you know, the beaver, the, the actual beaver that we're flying is literally 62 years old, uh, as are the caravans, uh, as are the Dash 8s, etc. These are all designed aircraft that were designed around heavy, large, vibrating uh, internal combustion engines that create fumes and high heat, etc. When aviation designed the aircraft, this was looking at electric propulsion and saying, what is it that you can do with electric propulsion that is lightweight, low vibration, low speed, low temperature, no emissions? How can you build an aircraft that takes advantage of that? And so you can see on the Alice, if you look at images of it, it's a very sleek, aerodynamic looking plane, right? Almost looks like a dolphin. That's of course a perfect animal to fly through the water, this is a perfect one to fly through the air. So really sleek capabilities, uh, very smooth body, dolphin-like nose. So they designed this aircraft to be an efficient electric aircraft from the beginning. And that's going to fly already its first flight this year uh, using our propulsion systems as well. So that's a very exciting. Very cool. And what ecological niche is going to occupy this Alice 
aircraft? Uh, what what sort of market segment is is it aimed at? Uh, so the Atlas is a nine passenger aircraft that will fly 440 nautical miles. So if you think of that, that's around 500 plus minus uh, regular miles. That's 50% of all airline flights in the U.S. As I mentioned, when with nine passengers, that means that you can go to half of where the United States wants to go when it flies, mm -hmm. except with two big differences, or actually three big differences. One, it's going to cost a fraction of what it costs to operate an equivalent aircraft of that size. So at around, I think that I saw somewhere at around $400 an hour to operate the aircraft, plus minus, compared to even take the Cessna Caravan, around $1,500 or $1,400 to operate for nine passengers. So nine to nine, and you're looking at a fraction of the cost to operate, which means operators can operate more flights to more places, more frequency, and even lower ticket prices. So now more people have access to flight. So that's one advantage. The second advantage, because it's a nine passenger plane and not a 90 passenger plane, you can access any one of the thousands of airports that are across the United States, across Europe, right? There are a bunch of airports in Europe. They're not used by airlines but they're really good for a nine passenger plane. That means that if you want to fly anywhere in Europe or the US, you have to sometimes drive for hours through traffic to get to the main airport, to take a 40 minute flight, to get to another airport that's far away and drive another 40 minutes into town. What if you could actually use with these smaller airplanes, the smaller airports that are closer to town? Mm -hmm. So now maybe you drive 10 or 15 minutes to the airport. It's a small airport, so maybe you get there 15 minutes ahead of time instead of an hour. You still do a 40, 50 minute flight and you get to another airport that's closer. So that's the second advantage is access to more airports because the infrastructure exists. And of course, the third is the obvious one, zero emission. You can fly knowing that you're not creating any harm to your health or the environment. And so the, the niche, if you will, uh, for Alice is not so much a niche. Think of package delivery. Think of commuter aircraft. Think of scheduled or charter. Even individuals who today fly on business jets, one or two people on a nine passenger jet that creates a lot of fumes, a lot of emissions, they can also fly in an electric plane and they can do it cheaper and with no harm. And so it really opens the door to every market and new markets that don't exist today. How cheaper? What ballpark is, is this? Uh, so yeah, so, so take, take a, a nine passenger Cessna Caravan. That will cost per hour of flight about $1,400 plus minus, depending on how you operate, et cetera, per hour. That includes fuel, maintenance, et cetera. The Alice will be around $400. So imagine $400 per hour and it's nine passengers. Mm -hmm. So yeah. from that versus $1,400 for nine passengers. So just that cost difference there, the airline can share that with the operators, with the, with the mm -hmm. customers or people sending packages. And so the cost goes down and they can keep that profit and expand their capability, provide more services, more airports, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a significant drop in cost. Yeah, and I guess it's an opportunity for many operators as well. So a transformation of the, of the whole ecosystem of uh, that moves people around. Uh, what about infrastructure? Um, what sort of ground infrastructure does a project like that need? Um, yeah. I, I, I was talking with some guys in Germany that did, uh, they, they were setting some records flying across Germany in a pipistrelle aircraft. And they had some issues uh, recharging the plane because they uh, didn't find uh, some airports, some airfields were not prepared to uh, basically to recharge the uh, aircraft. Yeah. And so, so the infrastructure, there's two parts of the infrastructure. 
One is the airports themselves. The other is charging at the airports. Now the airports themselves exist. That's the beauty of aviation and uh, middle mile aviation. Airports are everywhere. If you look at the United States, if you look at Europe, uh, especially after World War II, right, there's a bunch of airfields and airports all across Europe. So they can be accessed. So that's not a challenge at all. As opposed to, for example, people talk about new high-speed rail or hyperloops. You have to lay new rail or new hyperloop tunnels across the entire range of where you want to go. And if you want it to be high-speed, that means you can't stop along the way. Otherwise, it's not high-speed. Airports exist today. We just use the existing airports. So then the remaining question is charging. Today, many of these airports don't have airplane charging because there's no electric airplane. So very similar to cars, 10 years ago, the first people who bought electric cars knew that they had to plan how they drive and where. What range do I have? So how can I drive? When can I get to a charging? Where's the charging? Today, you look here, for example, in Seattle, where I live, no one even asks about charging because every mall has charging. Every uh, stop has charging. Every store has charging. Every home has charging, and you can plug anywhere. Some are faster, some are slower, but even regular restaurants will have a charging station in front of them. I went to a supermarket the other day, and there was a Tesla supercharging station in front of a supermarket. So no one even questions today the charging 10 years later. So it takes some time. Now, the advantage of airports is, as opposed to a car, I today have an electric car. I can get in that car and go anywhere I want, any road. And so where do you put the charging station? But for airplanes, that's much easier. You have to take off from an airport and you have to land at an airport. And so we know there's a finite number of airports that we need to, to tackle. And so that's already an easier job than cars, but cars prove to us that it can be done so airports can be done. But when specifically for the infrastructure for airports, there's two things that we're working on together with partners uh, on this. One is how do you put permanent charging capability in the main airports, right? The airports where people will fly in and out of a lot so you want some permanent capability. The nice thing is that in both the US and Europe, many of these airports already have electric charging capability for cars. So it's on the other side of the fence, but they already have the electric grid infrastructure because electric cars have become so popular, especially in Europe and the US. And so now we have to talk to the airports about, hey, why don't you put the charger on the other side of the fence so that the electric plane can come and charge from it? So that's one. If they don't have that, already, they can create, uh, uh, connect the electric grid to the airport and then put a charger in place. Again, we're not talking about new airports, new terminals, new, it's an electric line and a charger. So fairly simple and much lower cost than a new airport. But we're also working on a mobile charging capability. And what does that look like? Imagine we put batteries on a plane. And let's say, just for easy math, the battery has a life of a thousand uh, flight hours, let's say, or a thousand flight cycles, depending on you know however you want to count. I assume that the regulatory authority, the FAA or EASA, will say, I know it has a thousand, but at 800, I want you to take it off the plane. Why? To be conservative. So now at 800, I have a battery pack that's fantastic, that still has a great life, but I can't put it on the plane anymore for regulation. We're going to put it in a trailer or a truck. We already have a few of these uh, uh, demonstrators operational. So now I have a great battery pack in a truck that can come to the airplane if that airport doesn't have charging capability. 
and then it can charge the plane and then go off airport to charge itself somewhere, maybe at night when the electricity is even cheaper than what it is. Maybe it can go to a solar farm if there's not one on the airport, et cetera, and it can charge there, then come back to the airport. So we're also working on this mobile charging capability. But the nice thing about infrastructure is for electricity, it's getting cleaner and cleaner every year. There's a clear pathway to clean energy. Fuel will always be dirty. You will always create emission at the point of use in the airplane, and you will always create emission when creating the fuel, digging for the oil, refining the oil, transmitting the oil to the airport. It will always be dirty. But electric, the nice thing is, at the point of use, electric creates no emissions. But even if you go back and look at creating the electricity, many places today in the world are over 50% renewable energy, solar, wind, hydro, here in Washington State, where I am, we're at over 75%. New Hampshire uh, and the Boston area where Cape Air are, the launch customer for aviation, for example, they're over 90% uh, uh, renewable energy. Even Texas, which is the oil state of the United States, is over 60% renewable. And it's getting better every, every year. And so that's the exciting part about the electric infrastructure is there's a true pathway to be completely clean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was actually talking with uh, the person that manages the Norwegian airports um, mm. environmental side and we were kind of joking that actually Norway is also a big producer of oil, but they produce yes. like 95% <laughs> clean energy right. thanks That's to right. hydro, uh, hydro yep. energy. I wanted to ask you about the way you work with all these uh, entrepreneurs and all these companies. Do you have these two designs? and you kind of work with them to make them fit or, or you also work or is it two way it's like a two-way road where you also kind of working on on new designs based on on the feedback you are getting from from these entrepreneurs and the next question is if let's say you are an innovator somewhere in the world working on a new uh, a new concept of a green aircraft and they are looking for a provider of, of this propulsion technology and they come to you, what's usually the way to go? I mean, is, is it off the shelf as it is, or is there a way to, to work together with these entrepreneurs to develop a custom solution? Yeah, so, so that's a, a really good uh, uh, insight. So the way we work with uh, current operators or OEMs is on a wide range of, uh, or a wide spectrum of capability. One, we have our existing propulsion systems uh, that uh, fit most of the companies we talk to. So if you think of the range, the people who understand kind of the aerodynamics, the industry, the need, the battery capability or hydrogen fuel cell capability, they understand that the range of six to 50 passengers for 50 to 1,000 miles is about it. Anyone wanting to do more than 1,000, it's a challenge. Anyone wanting to do more than 50, it's a challenge because you don't have the energy density today in the batteries or fuel cells to be able to do that. And so everyone's about in that range. That's why we designed our propulsion systems to meet those ranges of the aircraft today that fly them. So if you take any aircraft, or I won't say any, if you take most aircraft, six to 50 passengers, their propulsion systems, either single engine, multi-engine, but their propulsion systems will fall in the range of 280 kilowatts to about one and a half megawatts, which is where our systems are. And so when I said that as Magni X, uh, at the end of 2017, we pivoted to become an electric propulsion company for commercial aviation. 
we then designed our propulsion systems looking at that marketplace. And so we have yet to run into the company that says, oh, I need actually a propulsion system in a power level that is exactly what you don't have. So we, we haven't met that company yet. I'm not saying they don't exist, but we haven't met them yet. So far, between our two models, because the models themselves are modular and have a range of capability, we're able to cover all those needs. But if a company comes and says, I need something that's different, then we will definitely sit down with them and see, okay, does it make sense financially, operationally, et cetera? And if yes, then we'll definitely work with that company uh, on that plan going forward. And so if you're a company, either entrepreneur or existing, it doesn't matter, uh, if you're one of the incumbents that wants to get into electric aviation, feel free to reach out, uh, info at magnex.aero, and we will have a conversation and be able to tell you upfront, do we think we can help you or not? Uh, one of the things we have found as we work through this is transparency and being straightforward is much better for everyone involved. And so if we're talking to an operator and we quickly figure out, you know, we don't think that the airplane you, can, you are designing will work with our propulsion system or anything that we can do, we'll tell you upfront. And we'll even suggest here are some companies that maybe you can get a propulsion system that will work for you. Or if we don't think uh, it's possible to do within the budget that's being asked, we'll say, look, with that budget, we can't help, but here may be some other companies who can do it. So we're being, we're, we've learned to be very transparent and very straightforward because the more all companies win, the more we all win from that perspective. Are you planning any product range extension in the near future? Any uh, new designs to add to these two core products that you are offering? Uh, we are, but at this stage, I can't uh, share what they are. I I'm sure you understand. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just um, to wrap it up, I, I wanted to ask you as well about, well, I, I don't know if that, that's something you can talk about or not, whether you are planning to add new, new airlines, new uh, aircraft producers or entrepreneurs, innovators to your portfolio of, of projects. Uh, yeah, yes. uh, yeah, we have a few more customers uh, that we have signed uh, as launch customers. Uh, we have not announced them yet. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, depending on both sides, whether we want to share it or not and why and how and when, uh, but there are some more beyond what's already been made public, uh, but we're not sharing the yet. Once we, once we can make them public, then we make them public. Mm -hmm. So we, we should keep an eye on, on the, on the news feed and see. A lot of exciting news coming out. For these announcements coming up uh, and certainly the, the aviation uh, first flight that you, you said it was yes. going to be later this year. Is there a That's date right. yet for that or? Uh, no, there's not a, a firm date yet, but it's, it's later on this year uh, with the Magnus propulsion system. So we're very much looking forward to it. And one of the exciting parts is that aviation are building their plane and headquartered about 30 minutes away from Magnex. And okay. so we'll all be excited to go see that first flight. That'll be exciting. Is it going to be in the Seattle area? Yes, in Washington State. That's right. Okay, very good. So if people want to learn more about all these very exciting projects, are there specific channels you would recommend? Your website, uh, social yeah, media? Yeah, so, so uh, our website, uh, magnex.aero, A-E-R-O, is definitely one place to go. Uh, in terms of kind of ad hoc real-time news, we usually uh, on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter uh, are two places that we usually kind of put out the news as they happen. Mm -hmm. I encourage everyone to go check it out because definitely if you are following electric aviation, Magni X is, is a company that you need to follow 
because as you <laughs> um as you just said you you've been pretty much involved in in many of the projects that are now making headlines so yeah wishing you all the best with, with thank you very it, much definitely an exciting time thank you it, it's been an amazing amazing conversation learning about all the good stuff you've been up to and we'll be looking forward to to hearing these upcoming news what are the next steps in electric aviation then thank you very much i appreciate it and thank you for having me on thank you very much before you go and if you like this podcast a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify or whichever platform you are using or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon. Yeah.